I just didn't know what flack was. Flack. <laughs> <laughs> flack. Intelligence educational. That's right. Yep. There you go. Watch for flack. Where is he? Where is he? <laughs> is this episode out? Look out for flack. So hold on, hold on. So what you're saying, Will, is you didn't know flack. Yes, I didn't. <laughs> know oh flack. my god. <laughs> you don't know flack. Will doesn't know flack. Welcome to You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 150, The Creek. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Today is May 16th, 2014, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about The Creek. Now, I know you don't know what The Creek is yet, but uh, that's okay. You'll find out by the end of this episode. We've got a lot of stuff to cover on this week's loading time, so let's go ahead and get this podcast started loading, and that'll give us a little bit of time to chat. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Well, first of all, uh, thanks everybody for welcoming me back. I am going to try to keep a little bit more of a regular podcasting schedule. It's easy Easy to get off that schedule. Once you get off, it's hard to get back on. So I'm going to try to try to stick with it for a while. Thank you. Partially, well, I do want to say thank you, but uh, I also want to say that one of the things that keeps me going is feedback from listeners like you. Uh, it makes me want to keep recording. Um, the idea of doing a show that nobody is listening to seems pointless to me. So, you know, even if it's little... Uh, comments on Twitter or uh, comments on Facebook or just a, a quick email, anything like that that lets me know that people still listening makes me want to keep recording. And so um, I did get quite a few after you know being off for uh, a few weeks, several weeks. Uh, I did get uh, some feedback this time about the last episode, which was about computer networking. Uh, Ryan on Facebook said he remembers going to one pre-internet LAN party and Descent was played. And I talked a little bit about Descent on the last episode. It was a um, similar to what we would call a first-person shooter, except for you were in a spaceship, and uh, that gave you an extra axis, you know, not just X and Y, but you could also uh, rotate on the Z axis. So uh, it was a lot of fun to play multiplayer, and if you're like me and susceptible to motion sickness, it was a nightmare. <laughs> I only played it a few times and I had a headache every time I played. Uh, anyway, Ryan also says he remembers them having these weird PCMCIA type three drives that they swapped games with. Well, that's interesting. I don't, um, uh, obviously, you know, back then this would have predated, uh, USB. So, you know, you would have had to, 
either lap link uh, or, you know, connect with a network connection and copy files around or something like this uh, PCMCI, uh, PCMCIA drive. So that's interesting. Uh, Scott Meredith said, great episode. And like you said, uh, I thought the topic would be boring. Well, I'm glad we agreed, Scott. <laughs> it did sound like a boring topic, didn't it? Uh, he says he liked the story about Vegas. Uh, and that was uh, me talking about the certification stuff. And the main part of the show brought back so many memories. I remember connecting a null modem cable between my 386 SX20 and Amiga 500. Uh, and that was to move files back and forth. And that is, um, you know, one thing that you could do with a serial modem uh, or a null modem cable was you could connect unlike computers um, because basically you're just at that point you're sending bits and bytes across the wire and a backup file. So that is uh, cool that you had that experience moving stuff around. I know um, some friends of mine now even have their Amiga networked uh, to this day to be able to move disks back and forth to them. So cool stuff. Uh, Paul Ramos said he liked the episode. And then I brought up a great point about computer knowledge where you would want to learn about something to get a game to run. He says he learned a lot about tweaking autoexec.bat and config sys to get games to run on his first PC, which was a 386.25 with 8 meg of RAM. And that is true. If you didn't live through that era, there was a, almost a, a competition to see how much high mem you could have available or how much free memory. Uh, and you did this by getting smaller drivers or loading things into high mem and moving things around, doing things in different order. I remember I had this program called um, Helix uh, Cloaking, I think, that would move drivers around and hide things in memory to get you more. Because you would buy a game and it would say, you know, you need at least 550 meg of... of uh, uh, free 550 meg, 550 K of free Ram. And, uh, you know, you, if you didn't have that much, you might have to have a different config. Uh, and you know, a lot of people had multiple, um, configurations, one for playing games, one for, uh, when they were doing other things. So that was definitely uh, a way that we learned about computers and the, the way, um, you know, at, at Best Buy, I mentioned on the last episode that I worked at Best Buy for a while, and people would bring in their tower. They would drag it into Best Buy and bring it up to the booth and say, I bought this game. The one I really remember, I think, was SimCity, and it needed something really high, like 580K uh, of free RAM. And people would say, I bought this game, and I can't get it to work. And so they would pay twenty nine ninety five or whatever it was. Uh, and I would reconfigure there. Usually they would drop it off. They would go shopping when they were done. I, I would be done, you know, and actually I, I had a, don't tell anybody, but I had a copy of, uh, that helix cloaking that I would <laughs> install on people's machines just to get it because, you know, they, they had bought these games and then they couldn't get them to run. So, uh, it was, that was definitely a challenge back then. I also got some messages on Twitter. Uh, Rohan, uh, the person who I said, uh, on the last episode, he's the one actually I said on Sprite Castle, he is the guy that said he wanted to hear, um, magazine, old magazine reviews about the games I'm talking about. If you're not listening to Sprite Castle, that's my podcast about Commodore 64 games. Uh, Rohan says he loved the networking episode and the thrill of seeing doom hooked up and knowing it was the future and then helping me land a job. And that is you know, really, um, the truth of seeing, you know, piece by piece, seeing two computers able to exchange, you know, over this big clunky cable and then eventually two computers, you know, talking through ethernet and then a lot of computers. And now, you know, 
I, I deal with uh, thousands and thousands of computers that all have to work together. So, uh, but it, it was all logical steps, you know, and it just started with those uh, early machines and, and troubleshooting that and getting that to work. Uh, Jason Ivy just said, uh, thanks for the new podcast. It made my morning commute. And that's, um, I appreciate that. You know, I mean, it may not seem like a, a big, huge comment, but you know, just, uh, somebody saying that they listen to it on the way to work. I really, I really enjoy that. So thanks, man. Uh, Kevin McLaughlin, who has been a huge supporter of, uh, all of my shows and of the entire throwback network, um, said, uh, holy moly, two podcasts in one day. That's just awesome. <laughs> and, uh, he's right. You know, I've, I went a month without one at all. So, uh, two in one day is a good, uh, a good day. So thanks, Kevin. Thanks for, um, all the support that you've given us. Um, not just on this and Sprite Castle on throwback reviews and on throwback network, the whole network. So we, we uh, really appreciate it. We, we talk about you a lot, <laughs> uh, before we record, uh, we always say, Hey, I saw that, uh, Kevin McLaughlin got the last one. And, uh, uh, something like that. So thanks again uh, for all your support. And finally, I had one from, um, I thought this was New York Jedi, in, but there's an I in here, NYI Jedi. Uh, and uh, he says he loved the latest episode of You Don't Know Flack, brought back some great memories, and congrats on passing the exam. So uh, yeah, that's the uh, MCSE exams he's referring to. And I think, um, you know, like a lot of uh, the stories, a lot of the things, if you're a computer person, we all went through similar things that might have been slightly different. Maybe you learned uh, a different kind of networking or you uh, started, you know, doing network on Macs instead of PCs or whatever. But but it's the uh, the concept is still there. You know, the uh, those early days of just just sitting around and trying to get something to work and then seeing something cool happen when you did get it to work. So anyway, thanks again for all the feedback. I really appreciate it. Uh, it really um, gives me that push to keep uh, new episodes coming. If you have feedback that you'd like to send me, uh, you can email it to me at robohara at robohara.com. You can leave a message on the You Don't Know Flack uh, Facebook page, which you could just go to facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. You can send me a message on Twitter. I'm at Commodore. Or you can always leave me a voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack voicemail box, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. The next thing up is the intro music that you heard this week. That was provided by Paul Nermanen from the Intellivisionaries podcast. That is one of the many shows featured on the Throwback Podcast Network. Paul sent that in. Uh, he sent it in... Uh, Oh gosh, I guess it's been uh, over a month ago, maybe two months ago. And I've been sitting on it. I, I uh, told him that I wanted to use it for an intro on one of my shows. Uh, Paul sent me an email and said, uh, uh, it's not really a, a promo that he'd sent, but it's a mini remix of the You Don't Know Flack music. And uh, he says while he was recording episode six with uh, Kevin Savitz from the Antic podcast, which is another throwback network uh, podcast, they were talking about the Intellivision game B-17 Bomber off air and the topic of flak, that's F-L-A-K, came up in the World War II sense of the word. And then they jokingly started talking about it as if they were talking about you don't know flak. Anyway, it was, this is still uh, a quote from Paul, it was still a few seconds or only a few seconds of dialogue and it didn't make it into the episode, but since I tend to say funny bits for use as outtakes, I took that dialogue and played around with your music and some stuff from the game B-17 Bomber and I came up with this. So um, thanks, I, I, when I heard this, you know, there have been a few times um, 
the um, there's an episode of the Halloween episode last year of the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast where Ferg dressed his podcast up as my podcast. Um, Paul's remix here. I mean, those are like to me the the ultimate compliment. You know, where somebody has taken the time to create something based on your show and send it in or whatever. I, I just I can't tell you um, how flattered I am that anybody would do that. So thank you so much, Paul, for doing that and sending it in. I've done things like that as well and sent them to other people. And um, uh, I just uh, can't tell you how much I appreciate that. It was really funny. I really enjoyed listening to it. Um, You know, I've mentioned Throwback Network a couple of times now in the intro, and I just pulled up the latest list. These are all the shows that are on throwbacknetwork.net. Uh, of course, there's uh, Ferg's Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. There's Antic, the 8-bit computer podcast. Uh, that's uh, Atari 8-bit computers. There's the ColecoVisions, Floppy Days, which is a retro computer podcast. The Intellivisionaries, of course. Um, Doug McCoy's McCoycast, which is actually uh, consists of three separate uh, different podcasts. Uh, Have You Seen It is a really good one that's in there. Um, there's a no quarter podcast, uh, Carrington and Mike talk about, uh, arcade games. There's the OTR, the old time radio playlist, the RCR podcast, of course, Sprite Castle, my Commodore, uh, podcast. There's throwback reviews that me and my man, Sean do. We have a, you know, rotating guests. We've had several other podcasters and, and guests on as we talk about, uh, movies from the eighties for the most part. Sometimes we have memories from the eighties. Uh, Vintage Volts, and then, of course, this show, You Don't Know Flack. Uh, so all of those are great shows. If you want to hear any of those, you can go to throwbacknetwork.net. There's an RSS feed if you want to uh, just subscribe to all of them, if you want to do that, or you can uh, subscribe. We have all the feeds listed and everything individually. So, Oh, man. I am glad to get back on schedule with my recording. You know, I was, uh, like I said, I was out of town. I didn't have a mic with me, so I was kind of... Uh, up a creek without a paddle. Oh, and there's the drive sound, which means we can get started. Speaking of creeks, we can get started with this week's episode titled The Creek. I moved to Sun Valley the summer of 1978 when I was four years old. Sun Valley is a neighborhood that lies on the outskirts of Yukon, Oklahoma, which itself is a suburb of Oklahoma City. Uh, Sun Valley is a neighborhood that consists of five blocks connected side by side, so it's a a wide and narrow neighborhood. The uh, south side of the street is 10th Street, which runs parallel to I-40, which runs all the way across the country, and to the west is Sarah Road, and both of those are major roads. Uh, You know, they had 55-mile-an-hour speed limit, so as kids we were not uh, allowed to cross those roads. So we were kind of limited to the, the neighborhood, at least on those two sides. Now on the east side of the neighborhood was wheat fields, um, for miles, you know, so there was really nowhere to go if you headed east. Uh, but north of our neighborhood was the Creek. And so my backyard was in the corner of the neighborhood and my backyard actually backed directly up to the Creek. Now the Creek was this giant drainage ditch, I guess you would say, it led uh, from Lake Overholzer, which is a mile, mile and a half away. The creek was about 20 feet across and maybe 10 or 15 feet deep. 
Uh, as a kid, it was uh, kind of a mode of transportation for us. You know, you could hop in the creek and uh, jut down to someone else's house and then climb back up out of the creek. Um, when we moved to Sun Valley, there weren't any houses on the other side of the creek, but eventually another neighborhood got built over there. And, you know, I had friends that lived over there, so that was the easiest way to get to their house was to go through the creek. Now, I've mentioned before on this show and elsewhere, and as you can probably <laughs> gather is that I really grew up for the most part, uh, being an indoor child. Uh, we had computers, we had the Atari 2600, uh, lots of Atari games, lots of computer games, lots of reading, lots of playing Legos, lots of playing with star Wars, you know, all those kinds of things. Uh, but a lot of that was just done by myself, or maybe if I had a friend come over that would join me, you know, it would just be one or one or two kids. Uh, but the neighborhood I lived in, most of the kids that lived around me were more into outdoor things. They were more into playing sports, uh, riding bikes, and of course, playing in the creek. So, um, Whenever I went outside, it turns out uh, I spent a lot of time in the creek. So anyway, what I've kind of done is divided up uh, a few, just some few thoughts and memories about the creek, and I've split them up into the different seasons. And so we'll get started with spring. Now, of course, in the spring, the creek was full of trees and weeds. And, and by trees, I mean those weeds that kind of turn into trees when you leave them uh, long enough, you know, and the uh, the bottom of the creek was full of, well, there was some water down there because it was this drainage ditch and it was full of red mud. Now, if you've, if you've never seen, uh, the dirt in and around Oklahoma and the uh, Midwest, the Southwest, it's, it's very red, uh, as kids, everybody had shoes and socks and underwear that had been stained red or stained orange from the mud. So Anytime you went down in the creek, you either wore old shoes or wore something that uh, you knew you weren't going to be in trouble if you came home and they were stained red. The water during the spring, for the mo most of the time, unless it was raining, it wasn't very deep. I mean, it was probably maybe a, a foot deep. Um, and so there were parts where you could hop across and, and try not to get wet. You might end up in uh, some red mud. But uh, there, the water, there was enough water that there were fish in there. There were fish and there were water snakes. Occasionally there were, um, water moccasins and crawdads, lots of crawdads. And I remember going down with my friends to the Creek and, uh, you would catch crawdads. And the easiest way to catch a crawdad is they, they swim backwards. So, uh, you know, if you saw one down in the water, you could put a, a little Dixie cup behind one and then stick your hand in front of it. And then it would just swim backwards into your cup and you could scoop him up, you know, and, uh, so we would do that, and, and occasionally uh, someone would catch a snake and run around the neighborhood with it. But uh, I'm not a big snake guy, <laughs> so I, I try to stay away from the snakes. Um, there were fish down there, and I'm sure they were overflow that had come down from the lake uh, when it rained and the creek filled up a little bit. Uh, so occasionally people would catch a small, like a tiny perch or a small catfish. Uh, I remember one time when I was a kid, this is... Um, <laughs> kind of silly, but, um, I caught what I think was a flounder. It was like a big flat. I, I thought when I was a kid, someone told me it was a sunfish, but I can't imagine there being a sunfish in a, a lake in Oklahoma that ended up in the Creek. But, um, anyway, it was this big round, like flat kind of fish. 
And uh, I didn't have an aquarium or anything, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I want to keep this guy. He was cool. And I had a little fishing pole and a net, you know, and so I took the fish and I put him on my net and I ran home and I was like, what can I put this fish in? And I was like, oh, here's a great idea. I could put it in a a frying pan and I just, I'll keep him on his side. And so I I filled it up with, you know, an inch of water or whatever a a frying pan holds. And I put this fish in there on his side and he was kind of looking up at me and wiggling his little fins. And I was like, oh, that's great. He'll get used to it. He'll get used to laying on his side. I went outside to go get something. I came back. He was dead. So <laughs> I don't know why. I guess fish can't live on their sides. But um, if you take away anything from this episode, there's a, a little fact uh, <laughs> a little fact for you. Fish cannot live on their sides. Uh, anyway, so the uh, like I said, it was a, a water overflow. It was a drainage ditch. Uh, back then, it wasn't uh, paved or anything. You know, it was just... Uh, grass and trees and and mud and and it's where um you know we as kids would go down and play and hang out we um occasionally when the water would get a little high uh, not not high but um when there wasn't a way to cross the creek we would build bridges uh we would find like either a telephone pole or trees and things and we would lay them over and take any spare wood we could find and nail it, you know, to these trees and, and make little bridges where we could pass. None of it, none of this was safe. None of this was anything that um, you would let your children do today. Uh, But, and maybe that was the point of the Creek and maybe that's why I miss it so much uh, that it was our own little adventures, our own little world, you know? Um, One thing I remember about the Creek is that our parents were always worried about us playing down there and not, not um, when the water was low, But I was always warned that if it filled up, if the water filled up in the creek, that we needed to stay away. Don't get near it. It was very dangerous. And, um, you know, as a kid, you don't you don't have that concept of um, water being dangerous or anything like that. I don't think, um, you know, I I grew up here in uh, what we call Tornado Alley here in Oklahoma. And I remember as a kid thinking, how bad can a tornado be? I mean, it's wind. I've been outside. I've seen wind. Wind doesn't blow you over. Wind doesn't tear things down. Wind is wind, you know. And on the uh, May 3rd tornado, uh, May 3rd, 1999, the tornado that came through Oklahoma, uh, that was the tornado that they basically had to adjust their scales of just how big and devastating a tornado could be. That tornado didn't uh, demolish houses. It demolished uh, neighborhoods and towns. Um, there are there are areas of Oklahoma that just disappeared when that tornado came through, and that was uh, really an eye opening experience for me. And um, so, anyway, as a kid, you know, like I said, our, our parents would say, "Stay away from the creek." You know that it, that the water could could come up and rise up. You know, like it was some kind of monster or something. And and uh, so, whenever it would rain, I remember. I'd go, I didn't want to get too close, but I would go, you know, and, um, the uh, neighbors on either side of the house that I grew up in, their house had flooded years ago. And so when they built our house, they built it up on a, uh, kind of like a little platform almost. When you walk into, um, the house I grew up in, my dad still lives there. When you walk in, there's like three steps that you step up. So there's a big, tall foundation, you know, and, um, I, I, uh, 
remember one time it started raining. It was in the spring and it started raining really hard. And, and the creek, we went and we looked. We didn't want to get too close. But even we were pretty far away and we could see the water coming up. And the creek filled up. It filled up all the way. And then it started coming out into our yards, you know. And so we were we were staying away, you know. But you could see it, it had turned. It wasn't like the the fun creek that we played in, you know, it was like a river. I mean, the, the water is just rushing uh, through, you know, and it looks like chocolate milk almost. It looks like the, um, the river in uh, uh, Willy Wonka, the first Willy Wonka, you know, it's like this brown, muddy water. And it, now it, it's coming up the yard, you know, towards our houses. And I remember going into the house and just being really scared that the water was coming up and, uh, uh, anyway, the, the people on either side of our house, their houses did flood again and our house didn't flood because it had been built up, you know, built up higher than those houses on that, on that, um, tall foundation. But I remember the, the next day when the water went down, we went next door to help our neighbor and, um, they had, they had to pull out like all their carpet and, you know, it's this, this red water that stains, and they had white walls. And I remember um, they had this line on the wall where you could see how high the water had got up. And it was even like halfway right in the middle of um, the electrical outlets. So it got up that high in their house. So everything that was, you know, from there down. So if you think about like your furniture or your 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 bedroom, maybe your uh, dresser drawers or clothes or anything that you had on the floor, anything in your house that would be on the floor lower than that level that that stuff touched, it ruined and it stained. And, um, uh, after that, they, they came in and they, they moved some dirt around. They kind of made a berm, uh, around their house to, to try to keep the water out, you know? And, and, um, uh, I remember it, it, it rained and it flooded one other time when I was a kid. And, um, we had a, a picnic table in, uh, our side yard. And we went out the next day and the picnic table was gone and we thought someone had, had stolen it or something. And the water had backed up from the Creek. And when it came down, it picked our picnic table up and it took it like two or three blocks away. And we had to go, go get it, you know, <laughs> in my dad's truck. Um, so anyway, you know, as a kid, the, um, the Creek was a lot of fun playing in. It was, it was, uh, our little escape. It was our little world, but we also learned at a, at a young age, uh, that it could be quite dangerous. So eventually spring turns into summer. Kids get out of school. You have the entire summer, uh, to go play and go, uh, goof around with your pals or whatever. And for us, uh, that definitely, uh, would lead to fun times down in the Creek. Now the during the summer, the water would evaporate eventually or drain off. And so the Creek would be completely dry. There wouldn't be any water in it. Um, I think I mentioned on, uh, an episode of throwback reviews where we talked about, um, uh, growing up and, and riding bikes and doing things that I had a, a fort and I had this fort that was built right up against the edge. It was like the back corner of our property. So it was right next to the Creek. And I, I mentioned on that episode that I had a, uh, I'd found a piece of PVC pipe and we put it, we cut a little hole in the side of my fort and put the PVC pipe and we put the other end right at the edge of the Creek so we could pee in the pipe <laughs> and we would, we would pee in this pipe and it would drain down and then it would go into the Creek. And that lasted until my mom came out and uh, discovered what we were doing. And then that was, uh, that was the end of that. 
But uh, the cool thing about the fort was we could hide little snacks and, and glasses of water. We would take water out there, bottles of water. Actually, I don't even think it was bottles of water back then. It was like a uh, a pitcher of water, you know, with ice in it. We would have little cups or uh, we would take like Tupperware cups and just leave them out. And we would go play in the creek. And then when we were done, we could come up into my fort and have little refreshing snacks. <laughs> we were very inventive children. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the creek playing army and ninja and hide and seek. Um, you know, with army, we all had our little plastic guns and we would set up on teams and you would say, you know, Hey, we're going to, you know, I shot you or I didn't shoot you or, you know, that sort of thing. We would all put on camouflage clothes and, and hide down there. Um, uh, I remember we had a, uh, a game for a while where we had, um, we would make these paper wads like, but we would use like a plastic sack and we would put like little balls of toilet paper and then put a little water in there. So you could get like a, like a wad, like a wet, sticky paper wad and put them in these sacks. And I only remember doing this a couple times, but, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you play army, there, there's too much cheating. You know, you could say, I shot you. No, you didn't. I didn't, you know, that sort of thing. But of course this was predates, um, uh, paintball guns and, and, uh, thank goodness. <laughs> so what we would do or what we did a couple of times was we got these bags and we put like paper wads, like of toilet paper in there and wet them down. And then we would play army and you would just try to throw it and stick it on the other person. You know, um, that, that was the nice way the, the, the big kids, they, they wanted to just do it with dirt clods. And so on. Unfortunately, I have a story or two where I got hit in the head with a dirt clod and went home crying, but, uh, you know, all's fair in, uh, fake war, I suppose. We also played a lot of hide and seek down in the Creek. And I remember one time there was this, um, it was like the slope on the side of the Creek and then part of it underneath had washed out. So it was almost like a cave, but I mean, it only went back like a foot, you know, but I had seen it and then there were these weeds in front of it. And so I got all this like uh, weeds and, and sticks and stuff. And I kind of like built a little fake wall there and I got in there. So we're playing hide and seek and someone would stay up like in, in a backyard and count to a hundred. We would all run down in the Creek and hide. And I got in this little spot. Oh man, it was so good. And I got these weeds and stuff and you're sitting there. You're just so quiet. You know, you hear somebody tromping through the, the weeds and they're coming and they're looking for people every now and then they'll shout and someone will run off, try to get to the base. And you're like, don't move, man. Don't move. And I got in that spot because I was not a fast runner. I don't know if that surprises anybody. <laughs> I was more of a uh, wait them out, you know, and I did, man. I remember this time we played hide and seek and I must've been down there. I mean, it seemed like hours and I don't know if you've ever had this experience. This happened to me a couple of times, but I hid much longer than the game of hide and seek lasted. So everyone else had gone off to go do something else and I'm hiding. I'm like, man, they are never going to find me. And of course they weren't going to find me because they quit looking for me like hours ago, you know? So <laughs> anyway, I was, I was a really good, bad runner, good hider. Um, let's see what else. Oh, just, um, like one, I lived almost in the corner of the neighborhood. There was one house past me and it was on a, a dead end. And right past them was the Sarah road bridge. I mentioned that Sarah road ran next to our neighborhood. And so the bridge was this two lane bridge that was rickety as anything, man. I mean, it was so scary when we were kids, it was a two lane bridge, but the edges like the asphalt had come off. So you could see the wood underneath it. And really, I mean, when you were two cars or whatever, you would kind of get in the middle 
you would not want to have two cars on this bridge at the same time. Uh, so if you were going, you would kind of scoot over to the middle and go over. And, um, anyway, so we didn't play on the bridge. We played under the bridge and, um, that was our cool hideout spot. There was like the, the, um, the concrete that held up the bridge, you know, that was like the, the wall underneath and there were big giant holes in it where you could see, um, like the rebar that's underneath there. And, um, there were holes and I remember there were, um, like kids had hidden, um, playboys in there and stuff. So you could go down and you'd run, go down to the bridge and there'd be a playboy. I remember kids going down there and smoking and, and underneath the, the bridge was like these metal beams, you know, and they had like an I beam, I guess. And, um, I remember the big kids would like hang on those when a car would go over and that bridge would just shake and rattle and it would be so loud. I was so scared. I don't think I ever actually, I remember being under the bridge and when it would go over like pieces of rock and stuff would get kicked off from the top. And I would think it was the bridge falling. It was, it was really scary as a kid, you know? And, um, uh, but yeah, I remember them having, you know, all their vices would be hidden down there. I remember one time this kid, um, he came up to me. It's like after school, he goes, Hey man, under the bridge, there's a black and white TV. We're going to go look at it. And I'm like, okay. I mean, this is like early eighties, you know, I'm like, I got like five TVs in my house. I got a color TV, <laughs> got several color TVs. Why are we going to go look at a black and white TV? And so we went down there and it ended up being like some kind of like a French porno mag or something. And it was called black and white TV. That was the name of it. And I was like, well, that's disappointing. <laughs> like every other kid that's that age would like, oh, that's awesome. And I was like, ah, I was hoping we were going to get to watch cartoons. This is terrible. I don't want to look at this. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we spent a lot of time in the summer down there. And, um, there was a couple of parts of the Creek where like the part of the Creek by my house, it went down into a bowl, but then the bottom was washed out further from where the water always was. So it was like, it wasn't smooth across the bottom, if that makes sense. Uh, but there were parts of the Creek that were, there were some parts where it got a little bigger and, um, somebody had taken a shovel and basically made a path from one side to the other. I mean, like the width of a shovel and you could ride your bike from one side to the other. Now my bike was, um, this heavy duty. My first bike was this heavy duty bike. And, um, uh, you had to do this to go to ride from one side of the Creek to the other. You had to get a little, not too much, but you had to start with a little bit of speed. Obviously, if you go down, you're going to not come up as high as you went down without pedaling or having a little speed in the first place. Right. So you could either start with a little bit of speed and then just kind of like drive over the side of the, the Creek. And, and this is so scary because I mean, the Creek, I don't know. I mean, it's 10, 15 foot tall. I mean, it was this big thing, you know, I mean, I'm look, I don't know. I'm looking out, you know, I'm, I'm upstairs right now in my computer room. I'm looking out the window and it, I don't think the Creek is as high as I am on the second floor here, but I mean, it might be close. Yeah, you know, I bet it's at least 10 foot. And so you would go down and go really fast and you would have to pedal and pedal, 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 and then get up the other side. And then if you like me were a bad pedaler or had a heavy bike, I mean, right at the top, you might have to jump off your bike or get your foot down, uh, you know, because you did not want to come down this thing backwards. <laughs> I mean, that could literally put you in the hospital. And, um, 
So I remember the kids that, especially the older kids that had better bikes, they would do it all day long. They would take turns and just go, you know, ride through the creek. And um, I remember this one kid, his name was Andy. It wasn't my buddy Andy, a different different kid named Andy. Actually, there's like 14 Andys in my neighborhood. Um, but this Andy went down the creek, and when he got to the bottom, his handlebars like either came loose or broke. I don't remember, but I remember the handlebars went down, and he just went over the front of this thing. And I think he ran his face on the tire and skidded. I mean, you had to go fast anyway. And we were all like, yep, Andy's dead. I mean, that kid is dead. It was like a rag doll. His legs and arms just went. And then you hear that, uh, not even, um, not even, a. A, a mo- like a scream, but like a, a moan, you know, just like this guttural, like, Oh, and you're like, Oh God, this kid's hurt. And I remember this kid going to the bus. I saw him on the bus on the, the Monday, the following Monday. And his whole face was like a scab. <laughs> I remember, I mean, you know, and that's what it was. It was a dangerous thing to do. You know, I, I wouldn't let my kid do it today. Uh, I wouldn't let my kid do a lot of these things, but, uh, yeah, riding your bike, that was like the scariest thing I think either that or, or being under the bridge, you know, but that's what, that's what summer was, man. It was just hanging out in the Creek. And, um, I do remember one other thing we did one summer was, um, you know, I told you that we, they had come in with the dirt loaders and on the side of the Creek, they had built these berms up to try to keep the water out. And so I don't know who came up with this idea. I, I like to blame a lot of this on quote unquote, the older kids, but it was an older kid. Uh, and we decided we were going to like dig a, a tunnel through this giant berm or something. Now that, this is just a bad idea on like a hundred levels, but on just on the surface, number one, we are weakening a berm that is keeping people's houses safe. And number two, this is a bunch of loose dirt and rocks and stuff. So there's no way that once we start tunneling under this, it won't fall in and kill us. Um, now none of that stopped us. And we immediately all went home and got shovels and we spent days digging this tunnel. I mean, like a lot of days and the neighbor that lived closest to this hole came out one day. and was like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, duh, we're digging a hole through this giant berm. And he put a stop to that. I mean, he like called all our parents and he ran us off. And now looking back, I'm like, God, you know, I mean, if that thing had collapsed, not only would it have hurt somebody, but it definitely would have flooded his house the next time it rained. Um, and they got like this load of like chunks of concrete and rocks and filled up the hole with it like wheelbarrows, like mini wheelbarrows of rocks and then dirt on top of that, you know, and it always had this weird look. So every time I used to, you could see it from uh, Sarah road and we would drive by and every now and then I would see like the rocks sticking on this one spot. And I would, <laughs> I would always think of that, you know, but I mean, when you're a kid, you don't think about the consequences. Like, you know, somebody could get killed. You're just like, Oh hell yeah. Let's dig a big hole. That sounds like a good idea. Um, I don't have too many fall stories that I can think of. You know, a fall for me is going back to school. You want to stay out of the creek in your school clothes because you don't want to get them all, you know, muddied up and turned, you know, stained with red dirt. Um, I do remember the creek kind of being like a a lonely kind of place during the fall. Like you could go be by yourself. I, You know, I might go to my fort, but if I didn't want anybody to know I was at my fort, I could go down. I remember by the kind of by the edge, there were these two trees and they were, uh, I don't know, maybe three feet apart. 
and they had um, where they grew up. They, the branches had kind of like grown together. So, you know, everything over about four foot up was just like this big twisted thing of, of trees that were combined. But at the bottom, there was a, an opening. And I remember it was just big enough where I could get in there and sit like cross-legged, you know, and lean up against one of the trees. And there was enough grass and stuff where you could, if you leaned up against a tree, nobody could really see you. But you could see people in the creek and you could see people in the neighborhood, you know. And I remember sitting out there by myself a few times, just, um, you know looking around and, and watching other people, but it was just kind of a place to sit by yourself and think. Uh, I, I remember one time I ran away from home and, uh, by run away from home, I mean, uh, nobody knew. And I went and got, um, some kind of, uh, like a Kool-Aid kind of drink, you know, like a juice box and a bunch of Oreos, put them in my pockets. And I went out and I just sat out there for like six hours and just ate Oreos and drank that juice box and talked about how I was going to run away. And, um, no, I don't think anybody knew I was gone. And then eventually, uh, you know, it's Oklahoma it started getting windy and cold. And I went home cause, uh, couldn't, couldn't live in between two trees in my backyard for the rest of my life. But, um, yeah, it was a cool place to go and just be by yourself. You know, there is one fall story that, um, I totally remember this. And this was, um, I, I guess before I tell this story, uh, I should talk a little bit about Red Dawn. And if you haven't seen Red Dawn, and I'm talking about the original, not the crappy remake. And actually, I'm just calling it a crappy remake because it's a remake. I don't really know if it's crappy because I didn't watch it. Because I watched the original and it was awesome. That being said, um, Red Dawn was about a, you know, a bunch of kids that were basically, they all banded together when um, Russia attacked the United States. And Russia had, had uh, gone in, and I think it was in Wyoming, I could be wrong, but they had set up uh, you know, a presence, military presence. And these kids knew how to live off the land. And um, you know, so anyway, I had seen that movie as a kid, and all the neighborhood kids had seen it because that's what we did back then is we watched um, PG and PG-13 movies and nobody said anything. And I remember the older kids saying, like, you know, if something like Red Dawn ever happens, we're all going to go to the creek. And that would be like our base, you know, because we knew the creek and then the Russians would come. They wouldn't know the creek. Only we knew the creek. And we would go down there. And, I mean, in reality, we would all go down to Sarah Road Bridge and then be looking at Playboys until the Russians showed up and shot us in the head. But for, for some reason, as kids, you know, we, you're a kid, you're dumb. And we're like, oh, that's what we're going to do. We're going, if there's ever a Russian invasion, World War Three starts, we're all going to the creek, you know. So anyway, there's this one time that um, uh, I talked about red dirt in Oklahoma. And I, this has happened a couple times since then. It's, it doesn't happen a whole lot, but... Uh, we would get these dust storms and we got this dust storm and it was just blowing on. And I didn't know it wasn't like a dust storm, like it was windy outside, but it was somewhere else, but it blew all this red dirt up in the air. And it was so much that it almost like blocked out the sun, like the, and the sun, like the sky had this red tint to it. And the sun was like, it made it where you could like, look at the sun. It was, it was, you know, probably cloudy or overcast to begin with, but it just had this eerie red 
um, look. And, and there was a kid that, um, my mom used to babysit kids and, and, um, there was a, a kid who was a couple of years older than me. His name was Will. And he, um, he actually, um, committed suicide. It was really, really upsetting for me. Um, like when he was, uh, a, a teenager, but, um, uh, but anyway, he, my mom used to babysit him. And so we would hang out all the times. And he was like that cool older brother, but like the, like a tech kind of like the guy that would show you, you know, and, and I don't want to get off on a side tangent about Will, but, um, uh, I think all the time, like, um, he died before, I mean, we had, we had home computers, but I mean, he died before the internet. He died before all these things. And I was like, God, he would totally, totally love. He was like my star Wars buddy. He was, um, Zoids. If you remember Zoids, these little wind up, like, uh, mechanized, you know, dinosaurs and stuff. He was my Zoids friend. Uh, and I just think, man, he would, he would so dig all this stuff that we, that we do today, all the video games and all that. But anyway, so Will and I were hanging out one day and, um, and I don't know if he was lying to me or if he really believed this, but he was like, you see this? And I'm like, yeah, we're looking at this red sky. And he's like, that's like nuclear fallout. It's like, there's been a nuclear attack. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, that's why it's all red. You know, it's a nuclear bomb. And, and we were like, we got to get to the Creek, man. <laughs> that's what we did. We went to the Creek and we went down there and, um, you know, we were like making all these plans. And then eventually my mom was like, you know, come on for dinner. And then we went home and there was not a, a nuclear attack. It was just, you know, red dirt up in the air. But boy, I sure remember thinking that, uh, that, that might've been world war three right there. <laughs> And it was just going to be me and Will down in the creek, you know, and stack of playboys. <laughs> anyway, the uh, the creek really began to change during winter. Uh, first of all, all the uh, vegetation died and went away. All the weeds died, you know, so that it kind of emptied out. Uh, if there was water in there from the fall, from any fall storms, it would freeze. And, um, we would go down and it would freeze like re because the wind would come down through there and it would be so cold. So it would freeze like really thick and we would go down there. I mean, we would have like five, six, 10 kids standing on the ice playing kick the can like, you know, hockey, but just kicking a can around. Um, now I, I mentioned that this was overflow from a lake called Lake Overholzer. And we would try to walk to Lake Overholzer. Now the problem is, is that the further you go, the bigger the creek gets, like it gets wider and deeper. And so the ice is getting thinner. So you would walk and walk and walk. And now not only are you walking and it's cold, but you're really far from your house and the ice is getting thinner and thinner. And then you'd start to hear it crack, you know, and then everybody would like stop where they were. Don't move. And then start walking. And inevitably, every time we did this, at some point, the ice would break and somebody would go through into the water. Now, it wasn't deep water. I mean, this is probably knee-deep water. But um, now it's like, well, you know, there goes Will and he's going to die. Because <laughs> Will's going to get frostbite and Will's going to die. So now it becomes, is anybody going to walk back with Will? Because Will's got to get home and change clothes because he's already numb and he can't feel his toes and he's wet. So is somebody going to walk home with Will before he dies or is Will on his own? And usually Will would be on his own or whoever went through the ice. You know, half the time it was me 
And I remember you just walking back and you can't feel your legs. You're like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. My, my feet are so cold. I'm frozen. Can't feel my feet. And <laughs> that, was, that is little Robbie O'Hara, 12-year-old <laughs> impersonation of me. Um, the uh, Occasionally, I don't remember doing this very often, but we would um, slide down the side, you know, down into the bottom or whatever, like when it was snowy or icy. But I don't think we did that very often because the creek was like really lumpy. You know, there was like all these bumps and rocks and little tree stumps and stuff. So there wasn't very many areas that were just like smooth. And plus it was steep. So it would have just shot you like crazy, you know. So I I don't think we ever did that too often. I do remember like once or twice. But um, now one thing I do remember doing, which is a terrible story, is throwing snowballs at cars. So I talked about the Sarah Road Bridge. And what we would do is there were like these little kind of bushes on each side or whatever. And we would get snowballs and sit there. Now the, the speed limit on Sarah Road was 55 miles an hour. So there are cars hurling down the road and we would sit there and wait. And, um, when the car would go over the bridge, you know, somebody would stand up and pelt them right with a, a snowball, one or two. And occasionally they would hit their brakes and then they would keep going, you know, but I do remember one time there was a kid, like we were all making our little snowballs or getting ready for our attack. And there's a kid who's like off on his own. We're like, I don't know. I mean, I don't even remember wondering what he was doing. I just do remember noticing he wasn't with the rest of us. And what he was doing was making ice balls. He was taking snowballs and then dipping them down in the water. And it was so cold that they were freezing into these, you know, big chunks of like round ice balls. And so I remember I was, I was at the bottom of the Creek and some of the big kids were up there and this kid was up there and you know, like he's got one just in his hand. He's ready to let it fly. I didn't even know. And here comes this car and everybody stands up to throw their snowball at the car. And this kid winds up and throws it. And you hear that glass just shatter, just the windshield and the ice ball hits it and it breaks it. And that car just slammed on its brakes. And the guy got out and he starts running. And we are like, somebody yelled run. And we ran. And that was, I mean, you know, all those years of navigating the creek and knowing what went where and the little things and how to get out, you know. And that guy was coming into the creek to, and I was just running. I don't know where anybody else was. I don't know where they ran to. I, like an idiot, ran right to my own house. But um, there was a, a little split off of the creek between, like a little smaller ditch between our house and the neighbor's house. So I just ran down the creek, ran up that little thing, and then jumped up the side, hopped my fence and ran, you know, around and, and to the front and I could hear yelling and stuff. And I don't think that guy ever caught anybody, but man, that was scary. And, um, I don't, why would you throw an ice ball at a car? It's <laughs> dumb, man. I don't know. It's just, just stupid. But, um, anyway, um, now my senior year of high school. So this would have been ninety ninety one. uh, someone announced that they were going to pave the Creek. And I thought that was the coolest thing. They were going to come in and, and cement the whole thing. And that was so awesome because, you know, this would have been, like I said, ninety ninety one. I was at the, the upper end of my skateboarding era. I mean, I started skateboarding in 85, roughly 86, somewhere in there. 
Uh, and so I'd been, you know, doing a lot of skateboarding, but maybe not as much my, my senior year. And, uh, but you know, having a half pipe, a concrete half pipe in my backyard. Are you kidding me? That would have been so awesome. And so they came through and as they started on it, what we realized is they they weren't, it wasn't going to be rounded, which obviously makes sense. You know, it was flat on the bottom and then these really steep sides. And I was so bummed. I was like, oh man, I thought it was going to have like my own skate park on the side. And, uh, anyway, so, uh, <laughs> my, my good buddy, Andy, and God bless him. I've talked to Andy and do so many stupid things throughout the years. I mean, I've known Andy since I was four years old. And uh, we're still friends today. And I'm sure if I came up with something stupid, he would be along for the ride. Um, he's just uh, a good guy. He's one of my best friends. And um, anyway, as they were concreting the creek, they had uh, these entries where you could drive down, like drive a bulldozer down there to do work. And I talked to Andy one night. We would got off work. We both worked at Pizza Hut. And we got off work and I was like, dude, we got to, we were in his car. He had a 280ZX. I'm like, dude, we got to drive down in the creek. We have to do it, you know? And he's like, no, 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 no. That's a terrible idea. And so this is like how it worked. Like he's the voice of reason and I'm the devil on his shoulder. So I'm like, no, man, we, we've got to do it. So he's like, okay. So I talk him into it and they're, they're working on this. And I mean, it's like five blocks long. So our whole plan is to drive down one, drive down the five blocks and then drive out the other side before anybody notices, you know? So we get off work and it's like midnight. We drive down in his 280ZX. He's driving real slow and his 280ZX. I'm not sure if it had a muffler. Maybe it had one and it had a hole in it. Maybe it had fallen off at some point. I don't know, but it, it was, you know, it sounds like all the, the racing Hondas that are on the road today, you know? So it goes down and it's just amplifying and these concrete walls, you know, and we start driving and then I'm like, you know what? This is so much fun. I'm going to start honking his horn. <laughs> so I'm reaching over and I'm honking his horn and you know, the car and people's porch lights are turning on as we're driving down. Cause people are like, what the hell is this car doing in the Creek? And so we're driving and he's speeding up. He's like, stop, stop hitting the horn, man. We got to go. And he's going, going, going. And we get to the end of the Creek and the little ramp where we're going to exit. And there is a bulldozer parked on it. There is no exit for us. And the bottom of the Creek. I mean, I don't know how, how wide it was like 10 feet, 12 feet. I don't know. But now we have to turn his car around in it and it's like, it's not even wide enough to do it. So we have to do like an 80 point turn where he's like backing up forward, backing up forward, backing up. And then as we're coming back down, now there are people like in their robes <laughs> standing in their backyards, like yelling at us and, and we're like, sorry, sorry, you know, and, and I'm like still trying to honk the horn and he's really mad at me, <laughs> but, um, we did, <laughs> We didn't make it out and, uh, successfully avoided prosecution on that one. I, you know, and he had a really unique, uh, looking car. So it would be surprising to me. Maybe they couldn't, didn't identify it because it was still dark down there, but, um, yeah, I don't know how, but, um, but we got away with that one. So the idea was if they concreted this thing that it wouldn't flood anymore. And so they succeeded in that, um, 
on the back of our neighborhood for the, we never had a, uh, a fence, like a chain link fence or anything. And they, they came in and they moved our yard back like f- another four feet and they put this giant fence back there and there's no gate. Um, when I was a kid that we had a little, a little fence, but there was a gate and you just opened it and then you could go down to the creek. But with this new one, there's no gate. And, um, I remember one time, like right after they finished it, I, I hopped the fence, you know, uh, and I slid down the side, like on my hands and feet, you know, and I could not get back up. It was too steep. Like I would run up it and get halfway up and just slide down. I had to like go down a couple blocks and up this little thing <laughs> to get out of the Creek. It was, it was, um, it was too steep. And I, I think I've, um, talked about this, uh, the nasty pirates, my buddies, uh, in high school that, um, uh, we had a little car club slash gang slash, and it's all the guys I've talked about on the show. It's every one of them. It's Josh and Jeff and, and Andy and Scott. And we, we called ourselves, we came up with the name, the nasty pirates. And so at one point, right after they did the Creek, I decided that, um, I was going to spray paint something that said the nasty pirates. And we had this logo that we had come up with that was like a skull and crossbones, but behind the skull, one was like a bone and the other one was a big sword. And, um, by the way, there was no point of the nasty pirates. We didn't do anything. We didn't, it wasn't like a gang. It was just, we just thought it'd be funny to call ourselves the nasty pirates. And so, um, so anyway, I went down there and I was spray painting this thing and I spray painted a, <laughs> a big thing that said N and P for nasty pirates. And I had done part of the skull and part of the bone and someone was driving by and they stopped and I freaked out and I just ran off in the creek and I don't even know who it was. Um, and I never went back to finish it, you know? And, um, anyway, when I looked at it later, I had like the sword and part of the bone and this NP. And so someone started a rumor that it stood for no penises. <laughs> and it looked like someone was cutting like a wiener and a sword. <laughs> And I, I never told anybody cause I didn't want to get in trouble, um, for spray painting on it. So I just, I let everybody, I think eventually it either washed off or they painted over it or something, but that was like the big rumor on the bus. And I, I never told anybody that. So there you go. There's a <laughs> an exclusive, exclusive story. And you don't know flack. Um, you know, this is the other, another terrible story. But as they were, were doing all this construction, you know, they decided to rebuild the Sarah Road Bridge because they're doing this, uh, you know, basically part of the creek and all that was to make Sarah Road better. And they repaved it and they they came in and they redid the bridge and they put up all these signs that were like bridge out and put the little, um, you know, construction little tent things with the flashing orange lights on them. And we would steal them. We would go down there every day if there were new ones. And so I had like two bridge out signs in my room. And I had those little orange construction lights. You know, there's like an orange flashing light and it's connected to a battery and they just last for a while and then they quit working. And so we would, um, I had them in my room and I, I remember my, I think it was my dad, but somebody came in there and they're like, you know, it's not the brightest idea to steal a sign that says bridge out, you know? And I'm like, yeah, that's probably dumb, but there were other ones down there. It wasn't like I took the only sign, but still <laughs> it seemed pretty bad. Uh, but anyway, they did eventually, uh, finish that or whatever. So, you know, here's the, um, the takeaway from the Creek. And this is what bums me out really is that, um, uh, my dad grew up on the South side of Chicago. He grew up in Harvey and, um, 
my grandma lives in Homewood now and stuff. And so we, we go up to Chicago quite a bit, uh, at least once a year usually. And, and we go up there and my dad will take me places and he's like, well, this is where this used to be. And I'm like, okay, I mean, there's nothing there. It's a field or something, you know, and, and the house, even the house I was born in, uh, my parents only lived there for a couple of months, but, but, uh, I drove by there one day and my mom was, was bummed out. She was like, well, that's where our house used to be. And it's just gone, you know? And, um, I think the Creek for me is the first place like that. Like I have had many dreams as an adult of being in the Creek, like going back to the Creek, um, and going there. And like, I can remember so like I could draw you the most detailed map of all the little areas we used to go of everything, you know, where stuff was, how you got from here to there and all these things. Um, and it's just gone. I mean, the Creek is, is, it's not, it's not there anymore, you know, and I could go, um, and go look at it. You know, I mean, it's in my, my dad's backyard, like where it's been paved or whatever, but it's, you know, they changed the shape of it or whatever. And it's just not the same, you know, and, and, um, you know, like a lot of stuff for people, my generation, I, you know, if you're, if you're significantly younger than me, you're not going to have this problem. But, um, we have a entire generation now of, I mean, everybody has a smartphone. And when I say everybody collectively, everybody has a smartphone. Everybody has a way to take digital pictures. So every time I rearrange stuff in my Star Wars room, I take a different picture of it. Um, I have pictures of my kids at least once a week, usually more, you know. Um, I have pictures from restaurants. I have pictures of sandwiches I've eaten. I have pictures of everything, you know, and, 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 um, it's not just, um, I mean, half of that revolution was digital, you know, when we switched from digital to film or sorry, from film to digital, you know, I mean, when you took film, it cost money and you had to go get it developed and maybe the pictures didn't come out or and whatnot, you know, but when we switched to digital, it was like, wow, these are free. I'm going to take 800,000 pictures. Uh, and we did, you know, but combine that with the fact that now your camera's built into your phone. And I mean a decent camera. I mean, I, I have a um, DSLR camera that I haven't taken out in probably three months now because um, on our last vacation, I didn't take my camera. I just took my phone. We took pictures of whatever we wanted to see on the phone, and that's that's good enough. You know, I mean, maybe not to print a poster, but I don't print a lot of posters, you know. So if, if you're, you know, of a certain age today, maybe if you're 20, um you know, then you've grown up over the last 10 years with, with cell phones and, and camera phones and things like that. Um, but there's a significant portion of my life that there are no pictures of, I, there are no pictures of the Creek. Um, and it, and it's just not there anymore. And so that's, I, and I think if you look at a bigger picture, if you look at my life in general, um, when I look at the things I collect, I mean, and I could just look around this room that I'm sitting in. I am surrounded. Like the shelf directly behind me has pretty much every Star Wars figure I've ever owned. I mean, the ones that I got in 1978 that Santa brought and put in my stocking are sitting right here next to me. And on the shelves to my right are, you know, Tron action figures and things from the 1982 World's Fair and, you know, it's all these things that just remind me of, uh, 
you know, places I've been and, and things I've seen and, and uh, things I've done. And I think that's what bothers me so much about the Creek. I think that's why I dream about it at night is because the, um, it's gone and there's no pictures of it and there's no anything. There's no, you know, if you went there today, you would not see any of these things I've, I've talked about today. So I don't know. It, uh, it kind of is what it is, but, um, I, I think that's the thing that bothers me the most about it is that I had such great childhood memories of it and, um, it's just gone. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodork. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. That's all one word. Or leave me voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 theme podcast, Sprite Castle, at spritecastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at throwbackreviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack.